Hi, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. My guest today is a good friend, Tim Krause, who is going to talk about his own discoveries about vocation and how they came about through a critical moment in his life. Welcome to Good God, conversations about faith and public life. And I'm your host, George Mason. I have with me today my good friend, Tim Krause. Tim, we're glad you've come back. And, yes, uh, thanks could, for having me back. It, it, it took a, a long time for us to get back. <laughs> well, we just actually had a conversation on episode one that really uh, talked about Finding Theo, the book that you wrote about the tragedy that your son experienced in his mountain bike accident and then all the discoveries that mm -hmm. took place in his uh, remarkable recovery and how he got well and is continuing to find himself and find how we find Theo ourselves, find God in, in the middle of all of that. Uh, we began to probe though this connection between physics and metaphysics. Uh, that really fits the story of Tim Krause's life, <laughs> right? So here you are, a physics major at uh, William Jewell College in, in Missouri, Liberty, Missouri. Uh, but before that and to this very day, you are a Baptist preacher's well, kid. Well, I am. That's hard to uh, ignore. Right. So, so this whole uh, figuring of, of how the world is made in a certain way, how do we think of what God is doing and involved in it is just part of the story of your own uh, evolving understanding of life and your own life. And I don't think um, I really spent much time thinking about that connection either. Yes. Um, I, I grew up in the front pew of the Baptist church, of right. course. Being called out by your dad if you were misbehaving. Yes, it happened more than once. Yes, uh, Timothy. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it hasn't happened in my current church. But yes, well, you're welcome. Point. Actually, there have been times. <laughs> there have been times. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes we have stories. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, but but uh, yes, I grew up in in a very strong faith background, and my mother was a uh, a very strong uh, Southern Baptist woman, very forceful. Right. And I've I've sat in Sunday school all my life, and I've heard the miracle story and you just sort of take them at face value and, and mm -hmm. on you go. Mm -hmm. And yes, I became um, interested in math and decided to be a, a physics major at William Jewell College, which is a Baptist school in Liberty. Mm -hmm. um, I never really spent much time thinking about whether those two things went together or not. Yes. Uh, but I did, um, I was just an average physics student and I remember very well in my senior final um, mm -hmm. I was working away, and the professor gives you in senior quantum mechanics, he kind of gives you the beginning, and he gives you the answer. But what he's most interested in is what happens between the, what he gives okay. you and the answer, which is, by the yes. way, a little bit of what's going on here. Um, and so I worked, you know, for hours, what seemed like hours. It was hours, and I came up to the, to the time limit of the test, and I still had not gotten to the finish line, so I thought, immediately, well, I am in a Baptist school, so I wrote on my paper in big letters, and then a miracle occurred. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it in. Deus ex machina, <laughs> the God in the box. Yes. The God drops in, it finishes <laughs> and off, you get the everything finish. is okay. Right, right. I thought, this, fine. This, I yes. think I got a C just for uh, 
ingenuity. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, they did let me through the school. But, uh, you know, I never, that's the closest I ever came to trying to make a connection, you know, between a miracle and, right. and the laws of physics. But yes. when I got to this one, I mean, this was an unavoidable topic. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, th that, that really hit me very hard is how do I resolve this thing about miracles and the thing about the way the world works. And I can't help myself. I want to know how things work. Yes, you do. Yes, um, I know that about you. Yeah. Yes. So uh -huh. I get into all yes. of that, and until I can process that, that was a key part of me finding me as I wrote this yes. book, mm -hmm. um, was thinking through, what, what is this really you know, Good. doing to me? And what, what did this do to you as you, as you not only dealt with um, being a father in the middle of this, but then um, experiencing it as the one who uh, stands alongside and can't, uh, you can't fix your son. You can't yeah. fix your son. Frankly, you can't fix your kids. Period. Uh, period. Mm -hmm. um, they, in the end, have to fix themselves. And you can spend all of those formative years moving bad things out of the way in right. the best way you know how. The day comes when something happens to your kid mm -hmm. and you cannot fix it. Yes. And boy, compared to the call in the night that we got, yes. that's the next maybe worst thing to learn is that something mm -hmm. can happen. And maybe it was worse for his mother than for his father. I don't know. Right. It was different. Right. But coming to that realization that, yes. that you can't fix it. Now, through the physical healing of Theo, there were things that I could do. I had good insurance. Yes. Thanks to Obamacare. Yes. He was 25 years old. Right. And he, Still was, on he your had policy. available to him the best medical care in the planet. Right. Um, and I could give that to him. Mm -hmm. and, and I told him face to face, I said, we're going to do whatever it takes mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. to get you through this thing. Yes. The problem occurred when he was considering suicide, yes. something I was totally unprepared. Right. And I remember like it was yesterday, actually a call with you. I'm sitting in, the Frank, in a hotel in Frankfurt and that this would be Frankfurt, down. Germany, not Kentucky. No, not Frankfurt, Kentucky, Frankfurt, <laughs> yes. Germany, That's waiting right. to come home. Yes. And Georgia calls and says there's a problem because she has spoken with him. Mm -hmm. And I call him and, and then I, I called you. And we had a conversation that I hope anyone who's facing this sort of an issue will go read. You mm -hmm. don't have to read any of the rest of the book, but go find this passage where, with a little bit of help from you, I discovered that the moment comes where you have to you've done what you can and you have to you have to turn it over to them and they have to be the one that decides to fix it or not to fix it right um, in fact I think what you said was something to the effect of in a way their pain is is a bit of a gift to them in terms of the way they deal with this right. don't take that gift from them of them dealing with their own pain right um, and when I separated from that mm -hmm. uh, you know I found out that uh, that he had a tremendous reservoir in mm -hmm. terms of his ability to, to turn right. the corner and something like that. Took a little bit of pressure off of me, but boy, was that uh, not easy. Well, I, I think it, if you step back from it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Makes it makes complete you know, sense, uh, yes. But it's hard in the moment because- the Suicide, I don't you, think, is about what makes sense, but yeah. Well, exactly, even, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But you know, if you if you tied your children's shoes for them until yes. they were 28, you know, they, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing, and 
and, and if you, you know, if you, if you come to the rescue every time they forget their homework. They or have to you, eat some dirt. They, they, have, have, to, to, they have to do all those sorts yeah. of things and, and, and they have to find it within themselves. And, and our role is to, uh, to be interested, you know, and to learn from them too and to cheer them on and to ask them questions and to be part of this growing up together this process. Is, this is kind of what I started doing after that very night. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I, I wasn't, I will say I wasn't 100% on this. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you get it right every time yeah. after that? Yes. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> but there was a change. Right. And it, there was a change in the conversation and in the way he reacted to the conversation. Because as I started to say, well, yeah. the way I used it was I said, you know, I'm, I'm having my own turning point right. because I was at the moment of trying to shift out of my career, right. um, which is a whole nother story. Yes. Um, and I said, so I'm dealing with what's next for me. Mm -hmm. um, tell me how you're thinking about this. So this thing that's bothering you right now, this thing that's really yes. got you frustrated, how are you dealing with nice. that? How are you looking at options? Because I'm interested because I could use right. some of whatever it is you're doing. Um, it changed it. So what happens in that, I think, Tim, is that you affirm his agency. I, I think what happens when someone's hurt or yeah. uh, wounded or vulnerable in some way is they, 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 their instinct is to feel victimized right. by it. That is, they're, they're passively experiencing this. Uh, but when, when we actually ask them to think about it and teach us and, and, and ask them to uh, reflect not, it's not how are you feeling, but how are you feeling about how you're feeling, right. you know. Now suddenly they're thinking, they're, they're, they're choosing, and they're not only thinking about themselves, they're thinking about how they can contribute to someone else's thinking about it. It's an extraordinary change that mm -hmm. takes place, and it becomes, a, you become a participant in the healing process. Theo uh, writes the epilogue yes. to, to this book. And uh, I love one thing that he says in there, I can't quote him word for word, I don't think, but one thing that he says in there, in his epilogues, he says, I came to the point where I, where I knew I could decide whether to be worth a damn. Yes. And so I did. And so I did. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I think you asked me in the last episode when we were talking about this, what, what did I learn? And I've had a lot of life experience as a pastor since this episode, as a right. matter of fact. Uh, learning that I can't fix my church, right. learning that I can't fix someone else or make them think the way I want them to think, uh, these are things that I did learn through this and I need to be reminded of it daily uh, because as a pastor you feel responsible for a congregation's well-being and in some ways you think, well, that's what God called you to do and that's what the people pay you to do. and then you wake up and realize there's only so much you can do. I was sitting in a, in a worship service lately mm -hmm. on Good Friday. Mm -hmm. I was at the Cathedral of Hope. Yes. And you were there. Yes, I was. And you got a standing ovation from this congregation for some of the stands that you have recently taken in the community. It caught you completely off guard. Yes. You were at a loss for words, which yes. is... A very rare thing. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's true. I mean, from your career, you went through, there was Ebola, which puts you right. in the limelight of the community. Yes. There was this experience with um, inclusion 
LGBTQ you know, the, L, in, inclusion yes. of, of gay and yes, lesbian persons. Yes, that puts yes. you in the line. So here right. you are, mm -hmm. you know, right. balancing, okay, I've got a church to take care of, but now I've got a community that's also looking at me yes. and needs to know something. You have to balance that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to be in a little bit of a finding mode of your own right now. Well, very much so. I, I think, um, you know, you... There, there comes a point where you have to, at least what I realized about myself, is you can't map your own legacy. Yeah. You, you can't, in, in fact, I had people come to me through this experience, Tim, and, and they would say to me, you know, George, I'm, I'm worried about your legacy. You know, you, you have, you've been training young pastors, you, 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 you've helped the movement from the Southern Baptist Convention to a more progressive Baptist witness. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've gone through this Ebola thing and, you know, the, the, the church is doing really well now. And, you know, and, and the, the subtext of that was, don't you just want to ride off into the sunset and be a hero, you know, and, and, uh, and, and look after your legacy. And I thought, you know, that's, that's just exactly the wrong way to think about any of our calling, it's, isn't it? It's... Uh, that's really not up to us. It's up to God to figure that out. Uh, it does seem to me that in the midst of all these things, we're being called to do what we think is right, uh, to do what we think is loving, uh, and nobody can, can polish their own resume uh, for the future and how people will think of them in the moment. Uh, you just, you have to leave that stuff to God and, right. and history to figure yeah. out, right? Yeah. 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 Well, that's just been a question that's preoccupied me also as part of this book because right. I looked at my father's, you know, legacy that he left yes. and um, how that affects me and what I do about it is, is really... A so thing. I want us to explore vocation a little bit when we come back. Uh, we're going to take a, a break for a moment to promote a nonprofit in our community that's doing, doing good work. Uh, but let's talk about vocation okay. a bit. Okay. Okay. Our Friends Place is a transformative agency. It creates better worlds for young women with all kinds of experiences, neglect, abuse, poverty, and homelessness. It's a great place, and it's a place where if you want a second chance to be anything that you want in life, you can accomplish it at OFP. Please visit ourfriendsplace.org. Tim, we were talking about your dad and vocation. Here you are, a, a preacher's kid, and uh, I think that there's a story in the book about your dad that might help us uh, begin to talk a little bit about vocation <laughs> and, and how he understood who he was and what he did. Uh, tell, tell that story quickly, if you can. The story in the book about the yeah. preacher? Yes, Yeah. the he, preacher. Well, um, so I was in high school and um, I, uh, you know, was making the normal high school mistakes. But on this one night, I had been out late because I'd been eating pizza at the Pizza Hut after a basketball game. And I came home in my car, turned into the driveway, and this is in Missouri, had kind of a curve in it. And it was covered with a sheet of black ice. Mm -hmm. And I, the wheel was spinning, and um, I, there was nothing I could do. And I ran right into the center post of the two-car garage. Kabang. My grandmother was living up above and she called my dad on the phone and said something terrible has happened. Yes. He comes out, his jaw is set, uh, wearing his robe. He's just had 
surgery to replace his knee yes. and reset his shin. So he's in a cast, his robe's flapping, he looks at me, he looks at my car, he looks at his house, which has now been set off of the foundation. Without saying a word, he walks over, picks up a big sledgehammer, and comes back and kapow, 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 and knocks that thing back onto the post, disappears inside the house. <laughs> and I park the car, and of course the garage door can come down now because the thing's back on the post. From that day forward, every time I have two of them in my own garage, I refer to all sledgehammers as the preacher. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and there was a sense, I think, for a lot of preachers of your dad's generation. Yes. That their role was actually to wield that hammer. Get you back right. on the foundation. Get you back on the foundation. Make sure you were lined up rightly. Yes. I mean, the word for righteousness in the, in the Bible is like a plumb line. It's, it's about getting straightened out, isn't yes. it? You know, and, yes. And, and I think that a lot of preachers did view themselves that way. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and therefore, sort of learning, uh, as we've, we talked about earlier, that you can't fix everything. You can't... Everything that's broken can't be fixed like that. Uh, coming to reckon with that in our lives uh, and learn to accept brokenness, learn to accept uh, that things like Theo himself, your son, who uh, is, is now still dealing with the lingering effects of yes. things, but he has a new life with that at the same time, and yet it still can be a good life. Loss doesn't go away. I mean, you yes. can't erase it. Um, um, I hate this term closure. No such uh, which thing. Which is there is no such thing. I now know that very clearly. Yes. You have this loss. You're broken in some way. It doesn't matter how it happened, but it happened. And what you can't think is going to happen is uh, that that's going to go away. Right. Uh, it's always there, mm -hmm. and you probably always would rather it had never happened. Yes. But it does offer a path to find a way forward. Yes. And it can be the case, and I have many examples of exactly that happening in this, in this mm -hmm. book that you referred to, of people who experienced loss or adversity in some way. Mm -hmm. They had the courage to kind of look for a new way to go. Mm -hmm. And then they ultimately discovered a place that was different than anything they ever imagined. Yes. And by the way, it was the thing they were meant to do. Yes. And I don't know how that happens, but the number of times it happened for the people who helped him was very large. The thing they were meant to do, vocation. Yes. Uh, that's something that you have actually struggled with throughout your whole adult yes. life. And we've talked about this numerous times. Yeah. Uh, I should say that um, following college, you began a career uh, that led into the telecommunications industry during the boon years of, right. of telecom, and you did extremely well uh, in, in that, and, and, and went to work almost every day uh, wondering why in the world you were doing this, because it didn't have a strong connection for you. Uh, am I saying that correctly? You I mean, absolutely what, are saying it right. I mean, I was... There are a lot of people that don't love their jobs yes. and that wonder about how this fits into a calling in their lives. So how, how did you I, work that out? I never liked my job. Okay. 
the trouble was I was pretty good at it. <laughs> and so it, it was like, you know, putting a frog into the boiling pot and the, right. the promotions kept coming. Right. I kept staying with it. Right. It allowed us to do great things for my family. Yes. But I always envied the person, one of whom was my wife, who knew from day one, I'm supposed to be a teacher. Yes. And I just never felt that for me. And I looked at my father and I thought about how successful he was and that that's what he was called to be. Right. Um, but I never, I always thought you're really making a mistake here. Right. Um, you know, even before Theo was injured, I kind of made a decision that, okay, at some point in time I decided I'm at a level in the company. I, uh, by the time I left uh, my company, I was the chief marketing officer. Global marketing Globally, officer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, enough people worked for me yeah. and had worked for me over the years that I started paying attention to their decisions ah, about who they were going to be. There you go. And I thought, well, if I'm going to stay stuck here, at least maybe I can help these people. But, but I'm telling you, in a corporation, it's, it's a, it can happen every minute because these people are just streaming in, yes. wanting to know, what should I do next in my career? Right. Or I'm not happy, or there's something I can't get done. Right. And I did make a connection, finally, yes. that this business of finding your way is a problem for everyone. Yes. And if I could help people understand that they, the limitations that their middle manager was placing on them because they needed them to stay in their job mm -hmm. were fictional. Uh, that who they were was for them to decide. Nice. Um, many times people were so unhappy, I'm afraid to say many times when the telecommunications industry went the other way, I had to sign a lot of layoff slips. Right. But so many of the people that I literally counseled as I ushered them out the door, because I, I spent mm -hmm. time with them, we would go to dinner before mm -hmm. I laid them off, crazy things like that. Oftentimes, when they came to back, back to me later, they would say, man, it's the best thing that ever happened. Right. Because I got let go from this scenario. So that became a bit my ministry, you might say, in my corporate job was to see if I could help people find their way through their corporate job. So one of the things that I've known about you then is that because you were successful, you were able to take care of your family and you've been generous with the church, but you also have uh, in the process uh, discovered these sorts of things about how to invest yourself in the lives of other people. Uh, Georgia does that right. uh, in a beautiful way, your wife, by uh, working with uh, young yeah, girls our friend's place. at yeah. our friend's place. And that's a beautiful ministry she has. You really care a great deal about uh, our Pathways to Ministry program, training yes. young pastors, which makes sense for you. Yes. So over time, you, you sort of found a link between uh, how you had the resources and the interest to help uh, to, to create greater capacity and invest yourself in charitable work in other people's lives. You know, you don't have to have Bill Gates money right. to, to do that sort of thing, uh, I realized finally. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Part of it is just, you know, getting involved in doing. Um, and the very first thing was we set up when, uh, when, my, uh, when my father died, we set up a scholarship fund mm -hmm. at William Jewell College. It wasn't big bucks, right. but we started to get the letters of the people who were benefiting from it, and that was great. Uh, the Pathways was one where, okay, this was another passion of, of my dad's, which was he, he would love to have had the chance that you have had mm -hmm. to teach young pastors how to yes. move. 
Um, You've been under the tutelage of pastors who've benefited from that with uh, Charles Wade, who he worked with when they were in Germany together. And my predecessor, Bruce McKeever, who was a a tremendous encourager to me also. Right, right, (laughs) exactly right. but these things are, you don't have to have the big bucks to do some of these things. And um, you just find something that you're really passionate about. Right. You know, uh, so yes, we've gotten involved in our friend's place. We uh, make um, modest, you know, donations to the Craig Foundation, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. their music therapy program, because music is such an important part of our lives. This is the Institute uh, yeah, where of Theo Rehabilitation. Was, where Theo, where Theo was, was in the hospital. Right. Yeah. They do mm-hmm. phenomenal Uh, work there. Mm -hmm. Um, The Pathways is just an incredible, again, Pathways is about finding your way. Finding your way. That's right. And so that's important to me. Um, Training young ministers who become pastors who then do the same thing for others. You just have to find a place where you can do something. You'll be shocked by how impactful it can be, even if it's just a small amount of money. So in the end, vocation really is uh, whether you have a great sense of uh, God has spoken to me or not. Uh, it, it's finding who you are right. and then finding what the needs of the world are and matching those Making things match. together. Yeah, and that's, that's where the meaningfulness comes. Uh, and it, it always comes down in some way to giving and serving, doesn't it? Uh, to it investing does. in other people. For me, um, Theo's accident actually has had a big impact for me in that regard as yes. well in terms of kind of the next phase yes. too because I've written many memos yes. and marketing bulletins but I've never written a book and in fact yes. I never thought I could write a book but right. I found it uh, really maybe the most enjoyable thing I've ever done. Um, he afforded me you know, that yes. opportunity to do that because right. I always wondered, you know, my dad had all of this success. What am I doing? Right. Uh, and is it right. making an impact? And I started writing this stuff after Theo was injured. Right. And, and I was shocked by how people reacted to it. Um, so I started writing more. You know? Well, it's and true. I think we should tell people that the, the reason you had the confidence to be able to uh, do this intrepid thing and begin oh. to write a book is because you were giving updates on Facebook to your friends. And they were some of the most eloquent, moving, helpful, insightful, passionate uh, things that any of us had ever read. Uh, in the moment, we were able to walk along with you and to, have a, to peer into your soul and to have a sense of how we were, all of us, living on the knife edge mm. somehow uh, between life and death through this. I just never expected that. The, yes. I mean, and, uh, my first one was, you know, Theo is hurt. Yes. But, and then after that, it, they got bigger and bigger because right. I, I just didn't expect that to be happening. But I, I think what's important to say is, yes, this is your first book. Uh, but like everyone else in this book whose lives had been shaped before the moment mm-hmm. for them to be able to do what they did in that moment, and that becomes a way of thinking about their vocation. That's actually true for you, too. It's the shocking thing that I you know, came to terms with is um, they're not only some of these other concepts ridiculous, but the idea of the self-made man is ridiculous because because everything that you are and do is not only because of all of these people that help you in a moment in time, but also across time. Across time, yes. Uh, Everyone who's gone before me, who's, you know, made the way for who I am. Yes. 
and which puts a bit of accountability on, okay, well, what are you going to do for the next generation? Yes. Well, while all of that is true about those who came before and those who will come after, one of the great pleasures of life is uh, walking with friends uh, mm. through it. And uh, that's been a gift that we have shared. Yeah, absolutely. And I have really yes. enjoyed. This was one of the most challenging chapters for both of us mm -hmm. uh, as, as this happened. And, and I, as a pastor, trying to figure out how to be a pastor to you and to Georgia and, and uh, to re relate to this. And uh, my part was just so small compared to the, the enormity of what you all experienced. Uh, but I think uh, when we step back from it all and realize there is a, there is a community of friends that make life worth living. Yes. And make it easier to walk these challenging paths. Uh, when you get to the end of life, what you're really going to care about is the fact that people cared about you and there were people that you cared about uh, along the way too. Right. Thank you for being one of those people in my life uh, and uh, for sharing your story. I know a lot of people are going to be helped by it. Yeah, thank you, George. Bless you, Tim. Thank you. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Our Friends Place is a transformative agency. It creates better worlds for young women with all kinds of experiences, neglect, abuse, poverty, and homelessness. It's a great place, and it's a place where if you want a second chance to be anything that you want in life, you can accomplish it at OFP. Please visit ourfriendsplace.org.